Sometimes you get lucky and your game is an instant hit without investing in growth. For everyone else, there's IronSource. IronSource is a game tech company which builds technologies that helps you guys take your games to the next level. The company is developing the leading growth engine for mobile games, offering a robust monetization management platform and data-driven user acquisition platform. What sets IronSource apart is their ability to close the monetization and marketing loop to help developers supercharge growth in a super efficient way. So whether you're looking to drive revenue or to scale your audience smartly and ROI positively, IronSource is the perfect partner for you. We here at Deconstructor Fund are giant fans of IronSource because it's truly a growth platform that a developer of all sizes can leverage. So we suggest that you head on to ironsource.com, that's ironsrc.com, and check out the platform for yourself. Thanks. This podcast episode is also brought to you by AppsFlyer. Most of you are familiar with AppsFlyer. It's perhaps the best attribution platform on mobile, a true foundation for your marketing tech stack, giving you all the tools to drive marketing success. But what is attribution platform? Why do we need it? And why is AppsFlyer the best in the business? Brian Murphy, head of games at AppsFlyer. Can you answer these questions? Sure. Uh, right now, marketing budgets are being impacted. Uh, so the need for strong attribution and measurement partners is critical. Marketers should be focusing on what's working best. So mobile measurement and attribution partners who help provide uh, those insights are even more important. Mobile attribution platforms determine which campaigns, partners, and channels delivered each app install, and marketers rely on these insights to measure and optimize their marketing performance for both user acquisition and retargeting campaign. With one trillion in-app events measured each month, AppsFlyer is the most robust technology platform and mobile measurement partner for any game developer to distribute and engage their application to a worldwide consumer base. Our scale and data insights provide customers with unique ability to make informed marketing decisions. In short, AppsFlyer gives you the data and tools to market your games effectively. So there you have it, folks. Go to appsflyer.com and get yourself one of the best attribution platforms out there. Welcome, everybody. We are here on Twig 91. Today, we'll be talking about four articles. First, Sony invests $250 million in Fortnite's epic game by the Financial Times. Second, why Tencent is looking to buy Warframe parent company, Leyao. Third, App Annie, mobile gamers broke App Store records in Q2 2020. And finally, everything we learned on, at Ubisoft event from Kotaku. Have a full crew here today. Myself, Joe Kim, Alan Telfer, Eric Kress, and Mishka Katkoff. What's up, guys? What What is up besides all this IDF nonsense you guys are arguing about this morning? What's with the radio voice? Yeah. <laughs> like, radio good morning, morning, Vietnam. Come on, man. <laughs> I just came I'm back from the woods. Up, guys. I came back from the woods and JK is going all radio on me. I was just like calm and, and nice. <laughs> This is happening. Um, good. I, I, things are good. What happened last week? Nothing, right? Uh, not at least not in my life. <laughs> There's yeah, there wasn't a lot of news going on, but uh, all the video game stocks are hitting all time highs, and all the tech stocks are hitting all time highs. So it's all good for me, I suppose. Yeah. We got a lot of content coming down, right? We got talking about IDFA. Mishka, you and Suf did some stuff, so that yeah, that'll so be good. 
Yeah, I recorded a podcast from the woods with Suford and um, Evgeny Paris, uh, who's uh, head of growth at Iron Source. So we that, that podcast is coming up this week. Uh, so keep an eye on it because we talk about the winners and losers of, of this new post-IDFA world. And there's going to be a Ragnarok of M&A coming in. So that's going to be a... <laughs> the idea that they did. But this is not going to be like one of like everything that I was reading because I was doing notes for IDFA and it was so technical. I'm like, I don't give a shit about this. Just tell me what's going to happen. So we went into this more of like hypothetical stuff. And, and I was asking from the studio side, like, Hey, I have a portfolio of this. What's going to happen to me? What if I have portfolio of that? What's going to happen to me? And the guys were, were, uh, were really good on, on kind of like, you know, just being, super straight with with what's going to happen with not only studios but also with google and facebook and ad networks and mobile marketing partners and you name it it was uh, it was a good discussion yeah, yeah i was i was actually forced to learn about advertising unfortunately yeah. <laughs> trying to understand this idea of yeah. crap yeah you're but, like uh, header level bidding what yeah, yeah. So, header, uh, like what what the fuck is so that? so so, ra- so rather than really understanding it i'm like okay clients you go give eric seifert a call because <laughs> he's gonna explain it to you better than i can so yeah he's got you, got a few calls on from my clients so but it was good thank to you do, eric yeah eric is fantastic so but it was good to do it with with you give any of as well because you you kind of need the uh the ad network view as well um to to understand the uh, ad monetization part is going to change quite significantly after this one is coming and eric is He's a specialist on many fronts, whether it's DJing or stand up or, <laughs> or growth, but he does, yeah, he does Eric does. He, he does DJing. He's a really promising DJ, uh, but this COVID kind of ruined his, uh, his growth path on that. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, it's, um, it's, he, he's not, he's not as knowledgeable in ad monetization. So it was really good to have one person from that side as well. Cool. Yeah, and I normally try to record like one thing a week or so, but last week I recorded six different pieces of content around M&A, you know, investment in gaming, Amazon. Gaming. I recorded all sorts of shit last week, so we got a bunch of stuff coming down. But anyway, but <laughs> we, we know everyone loves twigs more than other stuff, but <laughs> the yeah. other stuff. How do you find shit. time? Like, how are you running Wait. a startup at the same time? You just did- <laughs> well, that, well, just think about it, right? It's it's like an hour conversation. Just <laughs> don't watch Netflix, and you can do like double double my content every week. Well, F that, dude! I'm watching Netflix. I'm watching the worst <laughs> worst Netflix stuff recently. It's like who's gonna play Division? <laughs> yeah, how am I gonna max out my character in Destiny if I'm making all this uh, content? Yeah. Oh, oh, now it's Destiny. All right. If yeah. I didn't play AOV, I could literally triple my content. <laughs> oh, dude, Division Two, the season two is stupid. I mean, they didn't they didn't do anything with that game. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> anyway, all right, moving on. Update. All right, the Michigan. first update. All right, that's that's me. Uh, so app loving, powerful app loving, strengthens it strengthens its executive team. They got two new people coming into the team. First one, Keith Kawahata. Um, he will serve as App Lovin's first head of games. It's good that they have a head of games now. Uh, so before Keith, uh, Keith is a 10-year veteran, experience of 10 years in the industry. Before that, he was running Wargaming Mobile, which for sure was uh, was a bit of a bumpy ride. Um, Wargaming did a lot of things here out of out of Cyprus and then out of Berlin. Uh, but congratulations to Keith, a uh, really powerful role. And the second person joining the executive team is Deepak Gupta. Uh, he's coming in from Machine Zone after the acquisition, and he will be taking part as a chief revenue officer. 
So he'll be in charge of user acquisition for game studios across all platforms. And it's also a little bit of an interesting choice since, uh, you know, machines, machine zones, heydays uh, for UI monetization are a little bit outdated. And also Apple Oven doesn't really have that portfolio of casual games, uh, uh, sorry, of, of mid-core games. And, and Machine Zone was mainly focused on, on mid-core games. And the latest one was actually an RPG game. So, uh, but anyway, I mean, he's probably learned a lot. He's been at Machine Zone for, for several years and, and gone through those top titles. So congrats to Deepak on, on the role and congrats to Apple Oven, a strong executive team. Do we know the reputation on these guys, or is it good? I don't. I don't know these guys. Oh, I know Keith. Keith uh, was at Kabam. He's a really cool dude. He's like the one of those guys you just want to have beer with. Um, but, okay. Uh, but what about are they, are these good hires? What's our analysis or interpretation? <laughs> I, I saw oh, I saw some negative coverage on this. Here, wow! Yeah. Wow! I know. I, I, st- I saw some really negative negative coverage on this one. But I I I, I mean I love Keith. Uh, Keith, I think he's great. Uh, I don't know Deepak. Uh, Gupta, who's that guy? I'm yeah, and plus, JK, think about it this way. You either win or you learn. And at least, you know, they've been learning a lot from past adventures. Okay. <laughs> 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 Moving on. That's, that's yeah. how I see it. I mean, honestly, like, I, I have no nothing bad to say. I've, I've talked to Keith once, and he, he really seems like the coolest dude in the world. And, and Deepak, I've never met him, but the, the guy was running massive budgets at, at MZ, just doing all kind of crazy things on, on user acquisition and, and uh, monetization front. So what, what do you want, what do you want us to say? Yeah, I guess we did, Keith went over to Wargaming and we didn't really see much out of Wargaming for the last few years. Yeah, um, well, Wargame, but we haven't seen anything from Wargaming since World of Tanks. Yeah, because that's all they oh, could do. Except World of oh, Warships. Yeah. That- <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that was great. Um, <laughs> anyway, I, I, I think Keith is probably in a better spot at app Levin to run yeah. that thing. So yeah. I'm not going to actually comment much more on that, but I, I, I do love Keith. Yeah. All right. Next JK move. Okay. Instigating. Yeah, this is, <laughs> so this is actually, um, kind of going against my whole thesis on EA, right? So, um, EA just hired a guy named Jeff Karp, uh, who is a long-term, uh, executive in the business. And he was at EA when I was there, uh, originally. Back in 98, I think. Holy crap. It's a long time ago. Anyway, it's a big deal, right? They finally actually have someone in charge of mobile. And Jeff's a great guy. He worked at uh, Zynga briefly. Then he worked at the GSN. And most recently, he was the president at Big Fish uh, up in Seattle, I think. So it looks like Laura Miele, who's in charge of all the studios, is kind of shoring up the studio org at EA. And it looks like with this kind of hire, that maybe they're getting a little bit more serious. But again, with Andrew as CEO and his hatred of mobile, I'm a little skeptical. But again, adding Jeff is a big deal. And if they give him the resources and some autonomy, maybe he could make a go of it and make this business actually grow since it's been in decline the last few years. And again, they haven't had a head of mobile since Mike Verdu left in 2018. So perhaps this is kind of a move to help you know, push the strategy forward uh, and do something. And I'm wishing the best for Jeff, and I hope you know we'll see some good moves for mobile from EA in the next couple of years, and maybe they can actually start growing it and and making a go of it. Um, you know, I don't know. You guys have any thoughts on that? Do you guys no. know Jeff? No. no, I don't know Jeff. No, I think this is a really good one. Um, before that, the mobile was headed by the same person who was also heading Bioware. And right, Bioware and and 
the Sims, right? And Max, yeah. right? You yeah, know where yeah, her yeah. priorities lie. I've said that a million you mean times. Samantha Ryan? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Samantha Ryan. And then like there's none no knockoff on Joe, don't start don't start it instigating. There's no knockoff on any anybody. But it that sounded like an impossible job with, with so many different areas. And it really felt that the mobile was out of focus. So it's really good that they're getting somebody in and and especially with post IDFA world where arguably IPs will be more important because of uh, you know the more limited targeting I think it's 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 good if EA starts focusing more on mobile I mean if if we're, if we're in the uh, Joseph Kim prediction game I have, <laughs> I have I have a prediction there's only two two scenarios where this what what happens with this one is he's gone in a year because he gets frustrated because nothing's happening or they actually start to make big moves so my prediction is probably he's gonna be gone in a year but <laughs> That's me. Wow. Sorry, Joe. Wow. wow. Here we go. All right. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah, unless, right, unless, the podcast is getting going. <laughs> yeah, unless Laura wow. takes over. As, I've said this a million times. Unless Laura takes over as CEO, which may happen within the year, then my prediction is bunk. But uh, this may be a, C, a sign of what's going to happen going forward. So Laura takes charge. Mobile becomes more of a priority. Jeff kind of does his own thing, makes big investments, starts doing some acquisitions. They start licensing content as well. I think that is a, a good scenario, but I think Laura needs to be CEO for that to happen. So, and so it prediction. sounds like you're discounting the possibility of EA acquiring the Warner Brothers mobile assets. Let's not talk about this. <laughs> yeah, we're not talking about that. I can't even talk about that. This this oh. podcast episode off to a really interesting start. <laughs> <laughs> if somebody brings Voodoo and Apple, I think we're we're just cruising after. <laughs> Let's not. Yeah, the, the company that must not be named. Let's not talk about that company. Okay. <laughs> uh, moving on. Moving on. Yeah, Network. Uh, so Network is launching their new Tetris game show for mobile. Um, so announced last summer, Network actually acquired the IP rights for Tetris from EA uh, for Western Mobile. Um, so this doesn't apply to, to Asia. It doesn't apply for console. Game is looking like it actually pivoted since the soft launch last year. Um, it was last year focusing on kind of like a Battle Royale version of Tetris. But now this article is saying that the app is switching to kind of an HQ trivia model with daily public competitions at set times for cash prizes, which to me feels like an extremely risky move, especially given kind of HQ trivia's epic crash. Tetris does have wide appeal, but it's definitely not a TV show style game that Quiz is. Um, and the risk is that like every single day, they've got something like a $5,000 daily prize pool with something like a million dollars in prizes set for the first year. Yeah, th this just looks like one mode within a larger app. So it could, you know, just be one thing, one experiment. Um, but it looks like it at least still contains something like the Battle Royale mode. So interesting experience or experiment, uh, one, to, one to watch. Uh, Valorant also is going nuts with weapon skins. Uh, so this year, they've, or sorry, this week, they've been pushing quite a bit of PR around their latest weapon skin, which is called Elder Flame, which is literally like a weapon, that a set of weapons that looks like dragons. Um, it's very actually cool to see. It's really cool to see as you level them up, like how how much how different they become, and how, the crazy animations that happen. Like you think of a sniper rifle as you fire it, um, the 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 dragon actually becomes alive, and uh, as you reload it, um, it's quite actually cool to see. Uh, the set is actually worth about a hundred dollars for the full bundle. 
Um, so it's really clear that this is the way the Valorant is building up their monetization. So instead of, say, um, something like Call of Duty Mobile, which launched with a bunch of different low-level character and, and gun reskins, color reskins, these are very high-end skins with significant differentiation. And I think this is really just Riot learning their lessons from League of Legends about what cosmetics actually sell and what doesn't. Uh, having just a few high-end skins to differentiate sell a lot better than a whole selection of cheap recolors. Um, and this is actually pretty contrary to Tencent, which typically tries to do these types of massive high-end skins roughly about a year after launch. Um, also, Capcom uh, just had their financial calls. Uh, Q2 2020 uh, had about 80% of their sales now digital. And that's up from 53% over the same period last year. Um, this was actually projected at 74%. Um, so it's actually not a massive bump off of what they expected. Um, but this was mostly driven by COVID, Monster, Monster Hunter World's Iceborne expansion. Um, and the company now projects it to go to about 90% uh, by next year. Um, and lastly, Amazon announced that their upcoming New World MMO, which was slated for August, is now been delayed uh, at least until 2021. Uh, likely Crucible um, warn them against them launching anything half-baked. That's my updates. Did we get a conclusions on the budget for that game? Or uh, billion dollars? <laughs> no, there's like a lot of articles are still pointing at the 300 million, but I don't know how, like nothing public has come out about it. And yeah. from the, all the developer heads that we looked at, I think the it looked closer to 125, 150 million. A 300 million, if they actually threw 300 million at Crucible, that's insane. It's not 300. How can you make a game for 300 million dollars? <laughs> of course, give, not. Me three, give, me, give me 300 million dollars, I'll make you a game for 10 years. <laughs> um, do we know how well Valorant is doing? No, any, any sense uh, of how know. well it's doing? It doesn't look like a lot of streamers well. like it. Mm. Yeah. I think this, this network Tetris game is going to add, uh, like a cloud gaming mode next because they're kind of going through like all the uh all the hype hype elements all the buzz battle royale hq um, cloud based yeah, so with, with valorant at least like uh, just looking at the twitch numbers it's stabilized it's still within the top 10 on twitch so i don't think you can really knock them i think they're, they're yeah, stabilized I, um they're doing pretty I, well yeah I, I i doubt they're making any money though but we, we'll see regarding making money i've been playing tft now for team fight tactics for for a hot second ever since it came on to ipads i play almost daily at least one match so you know that's a lot of hours i haven't paid for anything i don't even know what to pay for and now they're trying to sell me like a penguin skin for ten dollars i'm like get the fuck out of here (laughs) i don't care less it's a really great game but it makes no like i don't know how just add a donation button i can give you five dollars i don't know yeah it should be a premium game there's no monetization design it's it's a really fun like it's a really good game, should, but there's no lot of should go on arcade, right? Yeah, it should, it would arcade. be perfect. Like I would be subscribing to arcade already, like four or five months straight. <laughs> That's <All right>. true. <laughs> uh, we I already know these games don't make money. Experiments in that category, we're gonna we're gonna start to see a lot of new stuff coming out. But yeah, you know, whether that Ubisoft game, it wasn't it. I'm no, sorry, no, no. Well, but the Ubisoft not, battle. Not just them, everybody, everybody. Yeah, yeah. It, it should yeah. be like it's it's a it's. TFT is a fucking great game. I wouldn't, it's like poker and chess made, you know, made a baby. 
this is pure speculation on my part, but you've got to think Supercell's working on this. You gotta be. There's only a few categories of games that they can work on. <laughs> Just yeah, given I thought, their mind. I thought Rush Wars was their attempt at that. Rush Wars more was more like Battle Legion. Have you guys played Battle Legion? Yeah. Just yeah. so I think Rush Wars was closer to Battle Legion and um kind of came in earlier, which is quite interesting. You know, All right, give us too many things on that, Mishka, <laughs> as we're since we're talking about Battle Legion. <laughs> what? What's it what's the insider scoop? On Battle Legion? Yeah. I can't say anything, but it's it's a really fun game. It's a really fun game, and I'm I wouldn't be wondering if if that game had some kind of an inspiration to the folks uh, at Supercell. So um, there's a lot of rumors flying around about that game, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> All right, anyway, great game. Install it. You know have fun. Play it. Uh, no rumors. Too many games. But it is a good game. Just just to be clear, we're not. Not bad rumors about Trap Light or, or oh. for them, but definitely rumors about people around. <laughs> anyway. here's, here's the background for the rumors. Everybody saw the game early on and it was really hot. And that led to a lot of interesting potential scenarios <laughs> everywhere. So that's all the rumors that came out because it's such a good game. So yeah, that's it. It's a good game. Okay, folks, we're going to cut to a quick commercial break and then we're going to be right back with the news coming up. So stay tuned. I want to talk about consumer insights. Honestly, I've always had issue with consumer insights. I questioned the value and felt that CI was always somewhat disconnected from the real world. The big issue with CI firms is they don't hire people that know anything about video games and therefore don't have a fundamental understanding of what matters in this business. That's why I like Beta Hat. Beta Hat knows the business of video games and understands how to connect consumer insights to the real world. And Beta Hat helps you understand your customers, understand not only what they do, but why. They specialize in customer segmentations, brand tracking, messaging and positioning, pricing and skew planning, and playtesting through qualitative and quantitative research. There are about 10 people in this industry that I rely upon to understand trends. And one of them is Stan Kwan, the CEO of Beta Hat. Beta Hat is the best CI team in the industry. Go to betahatmr.com for more information. That's betahatmr.com. All right, guys, we are back for the news. Stay tuned and stay tuned to find out how you properly pronounce layout. All right, stay tuned. All right, so jumping to news, the first news we're going to cover is Sony invests $250 million in Fortnite's Epic Games. So Sony bought this $250 million stake in Epic for a 1.4% stake in the company, valuing the company at about almost $18 billion, and the Financial Times highlights that the deal follows the success of the April virtual concert by rapper Travis Scott, which drew a record 12.3 million live viewers and led to a 4x increase in the streaming of the artist's latest music video. FT also notes that with the halt of live events, music industry execs are more closely following alternative digital and virtual platforms like Fortnite as potential alternatives. And the article also noted that David Gibson, an analyst at Asterisk Advisory Japan, pointed out that this investment from Sony actually came from the wider group and not its PlayStation division. So he views this as a sign that the company hopes to push more of its music, movies, and other content into the Fortnite world. And the article quotes David Gibson saying, if you're Sony, don't you want your artists to be the first to get into the virtual Fortnite world of entertainment ahead of Warner and other competitors? 
If 250 million gets them a chance to move first on this, then strategically it is a right move for Sony. Sony said late on Thursday that it and Epic would broaden collaboration on new experiences for consumers and creators. And Sony uh, mentioned, quote, we share a vision of real-time 3D social experiences leading to a convergence of gaming, film, and music. Actually, that's, that's a quote from Tim Sweeney, Epic CEO. So my take on this is first, a, a bit of self-promotion, but I did post a blog post that talked about the valuation of 18 billion. I personally think that it's actually relatively a bit of a discount. I actually think the valuation is definitely fair, probably a bit higher. And maybe I could just throw it out to you guys. What do you guys think in terms of one, what do you think about the use of Fortnite for events and as the next step to our favorite concept of the metaverse? Second, any thoughts on the valuation? And third, why do you guys think Epic is raising so much money? So we're, we're basically talking about a billion dollars, right? 250 through Sony. And then there was the $750 million announced in October as well. Well, you and I discussed the uh, valuation thing. I yep. don't think, I think, you know, it's certainly fairly valued based on, upon the comps. The only thing I would point out is that the revenue and earnings is basically going in the wrong direction because I think they did, what, $5.6 billion in 2018 and 4.2 in 2019. And they had almost a $3 billion profit in 2018 and, and they were down to a $730 million profit in 2000. This, is, this reminds me a little bit of Supercell, honestly. But this year um, with coronavirus, I'm telling you, it's gonna be up. No, I know, I know. So this year it looks like they're on track to do $5 billion and 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 one billion EBIT. So they're spending, they're making a lot of money, but they're spending a lot of money clearly to invest. But in terms of valuation, I think, yeah, but I think it's it's super fair and that people are buying this not necessarily for Fortnite, but that but what they do next with Fortnite, you know, whether they build out a metaverse, you know, a competitor um to you know Minecraft and for some reason I can never remember that name at Roblox. For some reason, Roblox is always, uh, I'm, I, I can't recall it fast enough. I'm so bizarre. Anyway, point is, that makes sense. But the 1.7% is just mice nuts, right? That's the, the 250 million sounds like a lot of money, but it's really meaningless in the scope of this. Like it, this is a strategic investment that they will do partnerships. And I actually did not see these notes that you were talking about, that it was more related to the uh, bro broadcasting or music stuff than it is gaming. Um, so that all makes sense to do some kind of strategic partnership with them to do other events going forward. Um, for Sony, I mean, as, uh, for PlayStation, you know, they could do more partnerships on engine development because I think they use Unreal a lot, Epic's engine. Uh, they could help partner on metaverse development type stuff, like development tools for, for the platforms. They could be the preferred place on, on PC, you know, you know. I wouldn't say they may go exclusive, but I doubt it. But just, you know, put Sony content on PC, which it looks like they're doing for now. But, uh, you know, and again, Minecraft, Microsoft has Minecraft, right? Uh, and what does Sony have? They have Little Big Planet, right? And <laughs> it's a terrible, terrible game, right? So with a lot of these, this wave of new user-generated content, I think it makes sense for Sony to get more aggressive and to get out there and build their strong partnerships uh, around this thing. Um, the other thing I would say, and I, I hate to pick on Sweeney again, but dude, what a hypocrite, right? The guy goes out there and starts demonizing all these platforms for the 30% fee, but it's not enough to not to take $250 million from Sony, right? I mean, like, 
you know, like actions speak louder than words, right? If you if you really have an issue with these guys, why is why is he in bed with them? Why is he getting money from them? It's just so hypocritical. It just it just it, it, it it's mind boggling to me. Like that that on the one hand he's saying all these negative things about these platform holders, and the other he's happy to take their money. You know, so go buy your Lambo and stop mouthing off at dice, Mister Sweeney. That's all I got to say to him. Anybody else got anything on Sony? Yeah, it's a tough to follow. Um, yeah. <laughs> What's your first question, Joe? Like, what do you think about the use of Fortnite for events as the next step to the event? Like, yeah, so asking- like they were talking about the strategic implications of having, you know, because the Travis Scott concert yeah. basically increased the consumption of his music. So viewing Fortnite as a platform for distributing or marketing music, movies, entertainment, things like that. Yeah, yeah, which like even now, like there's the tenant stuff going on, right? Yep. Like Warner Brothers is working closely with them. But you're thinking as this deal as a stepping stone for that kind of thing? So that was what this guy, David Gibson, was saying that because the investment came from Sony overall and not from PlayStation, that he believes that's the objective of this strategic investment mm. is actually to position Sony's artists, Sony's music and movies inside of Fortnite rather than more as a gaming investment. Yeah, yeah, but I, it, like, why why go at it this way, right? Like, one point seven percent investment in Epic. Like, how what does that really do in terms of the deal floor for putting in movies and putting in music into Fortnite? I mean, but but part of the terms of the investment could have outlined things that they want to do strategically. Maybe not specifically, but just like a more broader partnership on on bringing out new artists or whatever. Who knows? But after. Frankly, I didn't read this before I sat down here, and and that makes a lot more sense because the way Sony is set up, it's a completely separate organization, right? Like they they don't one doesn't have anything to do with the other. It's it's almost the most asinine structure over at Sony because like there's no communication whatsoever. So if it was coming directly from another group like that, then then likely it has nothing to do with games. So everything I just said was meaningless, right? You and know, then Sony so, is quoted in that article as saying that they're going to broaden collaboration as, as part of this. Yeah. And even my criticism of Sweeney, right? It's not even like they're taking money from Sony gaming. They're taking money from Sony, the artists. So that separates somewhat uh, separates the, the issue there. So anyway, that's what Do you guys play Fortnite? Yeah. I watch my son play it constantly. Yeah, yeah. My, my is, kids it, play it. is it like, uh, like I, I don't really play it. I've played a few times. It's just... Um, you know, I'm more of a COD type of guy, but is it a, is it a good place to hang out? Like, do you, Oh yeah. Is, yeah. Yeah. Like that in GTA Online are probably the play. best places to hang out as a kid. No, no, right but now. there's creative modes where people, they hang out and talk and goof around and build shit. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Which I think they really should invest more into. Like Fortnite yeah, yeah. really that should be investing more into their creative modes and building up more UGC. Exactly. That was kind of where I was, you know, kind of going with this is, is if they, truly bring these brands or, or content into their game, they should invest more into these sort of a hangout modes because I, I don't know, for me, Fortnite was, was, it just always feels a little bit stressful because I get killed all the time and I don't find it fun when, when kids kill me. So I just don't, you know, feel that that's. A, a so great Fortnite thing. is less stressful than Call of Duty. Yeah. You're out of your goddamn mind. No, I, I, but I don't hang out in Call of Duty. I don't hang out. I just come in, get killed and, and maybe play again or not, but you know, it just doesn't, it's not like, um, yeah, I, I don't chill at all when I, when I play these battle royale games. So. All right. 
let's move on. Um, so Joe, how do I pronounce this company? So because the company is valued at over a billion dollars, it's pronounced, try to get this right, it's pronounced Le Yao. What? I'm pretty sure um, not. Joseph, <laughs> hey, you got to get out of the house, dude. I'm worried about yeah. you. You're acting weird. You're just acting okay. strange today. You know? Speaking of Sony, let's let's move forward. Speaking of Sony, rumors came out this week that they were actually trying to acquire Leiao, which is a Hong Kong-based gaming company who owns Digital Extremes, which is the developer behind Warframe. Um, so according to Nico, the stock has risen about 20% this year. That is layout. And the market value is now at about $1.1 billion. Um, however, on Friday, it actually became apparent that after a bidding war, Tencent is joining um, and now has, I think it's something like a three-month um, negotiation period with Leo. Um To me, this makes way more sense than Sony. Tencent is looking to continue its dominance of owning the most future-facing Western developers in the PC console space. Um, So that's like Riot, Funcom, Grinding Gear, Epic, which they own 40%, Jaeger, which is undisclosed, Shark Mob, Bohemia. Um, So adding digital extremes to this uh, through Leia would actually continue that M&A streak. Um, So on top of digital extremes, Leo actually owns a few strategic investments in some other key companies. So they own 100% of splash damage. They built Gears Tactics, are working on an unannounced Stadia project. Uh, 20% of Certain Affinity, which is a support studio, which has worked on Halo, Left 4 Dead, Doom, Call of Duty. Um, So they could see value in that. Um, they also own a or, or built up a label called Athlon Games, which is building free to, the free-to-play MMO for Lord of the Rings based on the novels. Um, this is definitely interesting. And also own through investment the remnants of Telltale Games. Um, but I don't think this is much value to Tencent. So likely Warframe is the biggest part of this deal, um, but then as well some skin in some future-facing studios. Um, so... People are pointing to Tencent, looking at this as an opportunity to help bring Warframe to mobile. Um, I don't really see that. If you've played Warframe, that doesn't make a ton of sense. Maybe a companion app, but I don't see No way you can play that on mobile. No way. You can barely play it on on a keyboard. Like you need an Xbox with extra buttons. Yeah. So what I see this as Tencent getting, like really owning the PvE space. So Digital Extremes and Grinding Gear Games I would argue are the only two Western developers that have succeeded at building a free-to-play PVE service. So that is the only two developers who have managed to sustainably grow MAU year over year and have a sustainable live content model. And you can watch this looking at the CCU on Steam. So Tencent would then own both. So I see this as Tencent looking to recreate the success of Dungeon Fighter Online uh, which is actually the second biggest game globally, according to Superdata. Um, this is a free-to-play, ser- free-to-play PVE service, player versus environment. Um, but since it's in Asia, you know, most PVE MMO-style games actually are typically the top-grossing. So you look at the West, and it's mostly PvP arenas. Um, so when I think of PVE service, I think of World of Warcraft, Minecraft, Destiny. When I think of PvP arenas, I think of League of Legends, Warzone, and PUBG. So this is really Tencent saying, look, we've seen success in these types of services in Asia. Let's find the right developers that can build this for the West. So Tencent would then own a number of developers that are trying to breach this PVE service space. Um, So Warframe, Path of Exile, also previously they acquired Dauntless. So like with Timmy and Lightspeed, Tencent then would spread their bets 
and let their portfolio fight it out to see who can win the space. So I really see this as Tencent continuing to look at the horizon and making bets that free-to-play services will eventually become dominant on PC console. And this is really a stepping stone towards that and owning the PVE service space. This is a very smart strategic move. Wow, you know what's crazy is that these guys acquired them in 2016 for 130 million. Yeah, yeah, but you think um, even Warframe, it was it was launched. What was it, 2014? So they launched right before Destiny, and yeah. even those first two years were really rough on Warframe. Mm-hmm. No, um, I know they didn't get to a point where, <laughs> until it was really successful until about 2016. I know. See, this is what's crazy. Is it like? We were looking at them when we were. At, I was at Kabam, and uh, and then they sold for a relatively low value because they were struggling initially, and then this thing just took off. So, I wonder if it was. I have to look into it. Maybe it was a result of more capital that was given to them by uh, Liao or whatever the hell Joseph pronounces it. But um, <laughs> but now it's like worth one point one billion. You know, I mean, in four years, that's that's a pretty good return. You know, yeah. Warframe. I've been playing Warframe quite a lot. Uh, as of late and i think i understand something about games from playing that game <laughs> i need to have like cheat sheets next to me i don't even know how, I, the, how the meta game works still like a couple of months in no but, I, I, uh, I booted that thing up like four or five times and every time i'm just completely overwhelmed and i don't know yeah. what the hell's going on so i'm, I'm yeah. with you on that one yeah and, and then Warframe is the just one of those games really nice. you have to get over that initial hump right like yeah yeah you have to have a friend that knows it get over yes. the hump and then all of a sudden you and, and it that's out. and that's the community part because dauntless and warframe both have really good communities and these guys are really helping you out like they're they're high level players just carrying me over and, and explaining things like oh no you should move like this just jump press this button that button this button this is how you move through all the levels so even me running through the level was wrong like oh you're a noob don't run do this jump slide swirl thing <laughs> just this game is crazy but i i suggest that, that people who like shooters try it out because it's um it's it's a it's a good game it's it's fun. It's fun not to be murked by everybody like in, like you do in Call of Duty or Fortnite. So, <laughs> yeah. all right, moving on. Uh, so, App Annie had a report come out. Um, report said mobile gamers broke App Store record in Q two of twenty twenty. So, mobile apps and gaming and gaming surged to the highest level ever recorded, with games in particular scoring fourteen billion downloads in the second quarter of twenty twenty, according to mobile data and analytics researcher App Annie. So AppAni found that monthly time spent in all mobile apps grew 40% year over year. That's insane. And games are driving most of the revenue. So on Google Play, non-gaming apps accounted for about 55% of all downloads. And in App Store, it was 70%. But in terms of spending, games accounted for majority of consumer spend across both stores. 85% of revenue is coming from games on Google Play and 65% of revenue on Apple Store. And of course, Abani believes that even as lockdown restrictions are gradually lifted, the habits folks are reforming now will carry over. So, and this this was a relatively short article. They covered a couple of games that are going up and down, and it was a lot of you know Chinese games or games from China uh, or other Asian games that, that were there. You know, Coin Master. That's not Chinese, but it was up. Roblox, PUBG, Pokemon Go, surprisingly up. Fishdom with massive growth. Not a lot of insights. So what I did is I, I fired up Sensor Tower and started looking at some of these companies that we're 
often talking about in this podcast. So I'm going to go through a few of them. Now we're going to start first with Eric's favorite, Zynga. So downloads over doubled during the, uh, the COVID epidemic, and there was no new launches. So it was all existing portfolios. The revenues were up by 30% compared to the last year, and the growth, especially in, in other than their top titles. So uh, Empires and Puzzles, relatively stable, high as always, but, but especially their portfolio grew by about 25% and some of the uh, lower tier games. I looked at the downloads a bit deeper and, and the biggest growth that they received was with Words with Friends and the downloads grew by 5X from February to March. So they were normally doing about 500K installs and they went to 2.5 million a month. And that's really big in terms of not only the growth of the game, but ad revenue implication. But now the downloads are kind of returning to the normal. So that kind of speaks of uh, that the effect is not long lasting. And with Zynga, I also looked at Peaks games. And interestingly, they did not really have effect from COVID. Uh, the revenues were pretty stable. Downloads were pretty stable. And even though these are the forever franchise that they were supposed to grow, at least now, uh, lockdowns did not have a big effect on them. Uh, the second company that I looked at was Playrix. And Playrix have been just on fire for years now. So downloads doubled in April, reaching 100 million a month. Uh, they're cooled off to about 50 million a month. And, and you know, the biggest growth is in Fishdom, Gardenscapes, and Township. The revenue have been growing steadily for a long time now. And I was comparing the numbers from June last year to, to June now, and they're making 50% more now than they were making in a year ago. Uh, the ma major growth is happening in Fishdom, interestingly, because this is their first puzzle game and the revenue is up by about 60% since January. Township, their oldest title, up by about 40. Uh, Gardenscapes is relatively stable, only up by, by some 7%. It, it depends on which month you go to, but, but approximately that. And Homescapes is actually one of their titles that was going down, but it's still making about 40 million in net revenue a month. So overall, what it seems like is their portfolio is not as focused anymore on these top two Homescapes and Gardenscapes. Uh, and, and Township and Fishdom are actually taking a larger uh, share of the, of the portfolio. Since I was looking at Playrix, I started looking at King because Playrix passed King as the number one puzzle games company. And King was not really faring during the COVID, era, uh, the COVID time. So downloads went up since December quite significantly. And uh, the installs were up actually almost 40% compared to the December on the, on the top top months of, of the COVID lockdown. Yet revenues during this time continued at a stable level. Uh, their portfolio is now 76% basically of revenues coming from Candy Crush and Candy Crush Soda Saga. And that is a very different looking portfolio compared to Playrix, which has now about 35 and 35 from, from the Scapes games and Fishdom and Township bringing each 17, uh, about 15% of all the revenue. So King is focusing more and more on these two very, very old and stable titles. And just like with the peak games, these titles did not really grow during the COVID. Actually, well, the, the downloads grew a little, uh, quite, quite a lot, but revenue was stable. Yeah, quickly on King, I, you're ahead. bearing the lead a little bit. So when the market is up 40% in, in revenue and King is down 10%, yeah. <laughs> something is wrong, right? Like yeah. they, there's something going on with their games that uh, they are no longer tracking the way they used to. And I, the only thing that makes sense is, is competition because if Playrix is up 40%, 
you're right, peak is basically down a little bit. Um, so they didn't really have a good quarter as well, despite yeah. COVID. So, yeah, I don't know what's going on over there at King, um, but it's not good right now. I- one of the hypotheses is just the change of, of, of puzzle games going deeper and deeper into this narrative mode. Um, mm. and, and They're not both. keeping up with the Joneses, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. King is doing what they were doing 10 years ago. So um, of course there's a lot of optimization, a lot of, you know, a lot of, a lot of optimization that they've been doing, but their games just feel old and the newest one candy crush friends. It, it, it is doing better than the, uh, the, third iteration of candy crush but it's still not having a significant portion of the all revenues i think it was less than five percent of all revenues so when they tried to add a little bit i think they added too little to make it significantly different but but anyways um the other few games few companies that i looked at was supercell of course so we see a minor bump in install since the start since the start of pandemic and you <laughs> this is surprising but brawl star seems to have saved the first half of the year uh, because Brawl Stars over doubled its revenue since January. And this is, of course, due mainly to the China launch. And then the game is, is at least in the first months, faring really well there. Um, COVID overall slowed down the decline of the portfolio. We can see that Clash of Clans is down to its normal run rate. So it makes about you know 35 net revenue a month. It had a massive uh, December when they released that new update. They had the GDC talk that we actually um, went through and they were talking about this battle pass mode and everything is great. And they actually doubled their revenue at that point, but it came back to its normal level. Uh, Meanwhile, Clash Royale is down 30% since the beginning of the year. So this is, yeah, it's not looking good. Clash Royale has been, has been declining quite heavily and, the way I see it is just the audience is the same audience that's, that that plays other games like these battle royale games, and they're just engaging with with other titles, but they don't seem to be sticking in Clash Royale, which is shame. I really love that game. I can't play it because it's I get too into it. I'm now in Battle Legion, <laughs> but but yeah, yeah. So, Supercell in the West was down twenty percent year over yes. year. The market was up forty. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, they. they yeah, they, they're taking a beating, but on the on the bright side, <laughs> IDFA, it's always a positive positive bent with around Supercell. Like, well, it's with everything we try to. There's no objectivity the with this company. It's like, yes, there is. So IDFA, IDFA is coming in. So we we gave them a little bit of a shit for for not being on top of the game when it comes to user acquisition, uh, in in the Deconstructor Fund um, post that we released in in um I don't know a couple of months ago. But now with IDFA, you know, you don't have to be that that big of a guru in user acquisition. And your strategies of, of this carpet bombing more brand focused is actually um, more viable. So I think, I think this IDFA is going to be somewhat good news for Supercell with games that have such a broad appeal and the marketing strategies that they do with the events and the influencers and the TV ads and the, you know, you name it, anything but the, um, the misleading ads on Facebook. You know they they might be benefiting from that. So yeah, two sides of the story. But let's talk about <laughs> Eric, the company that that you follow, the closest glue. Ugh. And glue has had the biggest growth of installs out of all these companies. So almost tripling installs in, in April compared to the beginning of the year. We got growth in Disney sorcery sorcerers arena. Oh my god, that's impossible to say. MLB was up, design home was up significantly, and revenue is almost 
doubled overall for the whole portfolio. Design home and covet fashion both up by about 50%. We've got MLB making solid 6 million net a month after its launch. Kim K nearly doubled its run rate. And Disney, well, Disney is declining. So JK, you're off the hook. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> you know, we did the prediction that the game is going to be about 30 million net revenue. And I think it's going towards that way. Just, you know, just looking at other Disney RPG games. So uh, it's now about 3 million net revenue a month uh, down from, I think it was five or six net. And I think it's going to kind of stabilize at, at around that three a month which will take it to a close to 30, 35 net a year uh, for, the, for the first year. And final company that I looked at just to get some, some, um, some different than the Western companies, I looked at Lilith. Uh, so Lilith is the company behind two monster hits, uh, AFK Arena, uh, that we dubbed as the best RPG game out there. <laughs> and it actually became the best, the, the, the top grossing RPG game. And then they also launched a Rise of Kingdoms, Rise of Civilizations initially, and then changed to Rise of Kingdoms. And that one is a 4X game. So Lilith had downloads going up to about 5 million a month. Really, you know, small compared to all these others that were, there were you know, Playrix making 100 million installs a month. And now the downloads are down to about 3 million a month. At the same time, their revenues peaked at 125 million a month. And the revenues are down, but they're still making about 9 million, 90 million a month with 3 million installs. AFK was was major driver of the revenues, but that was mainly due to the China launch that happened in the beginning of the year. And they actually peaked at 75 million net at, during that time. And now they're down to 30 million net, which is still double than it was before they launched in China. So that might be a good news for Brawl Stars that just launched in China. And Rise of Kingdoms is is up by 50%. So definitely becoming the biggest 4X game, uh, currently making about 55 million in net revenues a month. Why Lilith is interesting is because China and Korea are bringing both 40% of, uh, are, are about 40% of the company's revenues. And you can clearly see the impact of lockdown and, and the kind of uh, getting rid of the lockdown by, by looking at how these games are faring in the Chinese market. So there, there is a massive boost and, and there is a decline, but as App Annie said in the beginning, uh, they said that they believe that even as lockdown restrictions are gradually lifted, the habits folks are forming now will carry over. And looking at Lilith, which has a major presence in the Asian markets, and, and those are the ones that are have lifted a lot of the restrictions, both Korea and, and China, the games are looking, are faring way better there now than before the lockdown. So if that's, if that's of any indication, then, then it's a positive one, but it won't be as high as it was uh, before the lockdown. So this is all I had just beefed up with, with some sensor tower data. I think the billion dollar question is what happens next from here, right? Like what happens when the shelter in place stuff starts to go away? How permanent are the engagement monetization trends? And for anyone who listened to last week's twig, when we looked at the shooters, like uh, the PUBG revenue relative to the Fortnite revenue, we saw that shelter in place actually has a massive impact on the revenue, right? And so PUBG is China was going to shelter in place, PUBG revenue spiked. And then as the U.S. kind of went to shelter in place, the Fortnite revenue and the U.S. revenue spiked. And so 
I definitely agree with App Annie that there probably is a permanent increase, but then how, how much of an increase is there? I, I think that's a big question. And then I think the next part of this is how will various global economies hold up? And so mainly from the perspective in terms of whale behavior, right? So if we go into a recessionary, depressionary environment, and if device tracking due to iOS 14, and if we see similar behavior on Google side, as we see on the Apple side, if that knocks out whale hunting from a UA perspective, then we'll start to see this shift from hardcore to more mid-core and casual games with friendlier monetization. And as, as you had already stated, in this environment, Supercell should win. But yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. Google will follow for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 uh, I, I guess we're missing the high level like idea of like what happened with, with the market. So like fundamentally what happened was UA costs went down and activity went up, right? Therefore revenue went up, right? And so a lot of the, what seems to have happened is, is some of the, the, uh, the, the core people, uh, core games that were in market already didn't benefit as much as some of the newer games and some of the newer publishers. Kind of that's the way it looked like to me anyway. But if you look at the data for the last couple of weeks, we're actually reverting back to the mean, right? I don't agree with uh, App Annie that we will see continued engagement at these levels. It doesn't even make intuitive sense that that would actually I don't, happen. I don't think they're saying at these levels, right? That there will be more, it'll be greater than from baseline previous to COVID. Yeah, exactly. No. That's the same that you can see with Lilith. No. Yeah, I, I just don't think that's the case. I think basically you revert back to your previous way of interacting with with content whether it's console or mobile and we're seeing in the data all the numbers are coming reverting back to the level of, of growth that we were seeing previously if, if you actually kind of dissect it a little bit more so anyway i think we're back to normal i would say um relatively soon and console is kind of getting there as well come you know at the end of this month that's kind of the way the data is looking for me anyway the uh, i think the bigger issue is what you're talking about with the ifda or idfa where how is that going to impact the balance of genre and types of games that are successful in the marketplace? I think that's going to be, have far more of an yes. impact potentially to player behavior and, and, and game success of new games and success of existing games if a lot of what people think is going to happen with the IDFA. So uh, that's kind of what I'm looking at. All right. Yeah. The last thing is... Right. The last thing, there was not much news. So I just picked uh, to look at uh, the Ubisoft event. Unfortunately, the Ubisoft event was overshadowed by the fact that four or five people have left the company on various charges of bad things. Um, but, you know, Ubisoft is having their big E3, not an E3 event. And they basically did uh, a showing of some of the big titles that are coming out this year, primarily. They did not look at games like going forward. So they showed. Um, Watch Dogs Legion, Brawlhalla. I don't, I gotta look at what Brawlhalla is. I didn't even look at that. Elite Squad, Hyperscape, uh, Assassin. But uh, sorry, Brawlhalla is a Super Smash Bros. 2D game. Um, that's on mobile. On, no, 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 it's always been on console. So this is now finally moving to mobile. Oh, god, it's, it's on Switch, Xbox, PlayStation, PC. And then they showed Hyperscape and most importantly, Assassin's Creed Valhalla as well as Far Cry 6. So what they are missing is Gods and Monsters, which is supposedly coming out in their fiscal year ending March 2021, and Beyond Good and Evil 2, which is never, ever, ever, ever going to ship. So not too surprised there. 
Um, I thought the presentation was quite good. I mean, frankly, they're generally better than what they do at E3. Uh, sometimes Ubisoft, of, of all the companies, the presentations are so hit or miss, and some of them are so painful. Like one, they actually built a laser tag game, and they did laser tag in the audience. And first of all, it's like, why in the F are they ever <laughs> making a laser tag game? And why would they ever showcase it at E3? I mean, it's, it makes no sense anyway. So sometimes like Ubisoft can be absolutely tone deaf when it comes to these sorts of things. Maybe it's a French thing. I don't know. Um, but I guess the reason I picked this thing out was that my worry about E3 is that E3 is no longer going to be a thing, right? We're seeing all these presentations that are being done for fraction, fraction, fraction of a cost of going to E3 with all the people and how disruptive E3 can be for development process, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so we see EA, Microsoft, Ubisoft, and other publishers. The only one we haven't really seen is Activision. They haven't revealed Call of Duty yet. I think that's because the game is not looking very good. But, um, but anyway, it just seems to me that I think once the numbers are calculated on the reach of these presentations and the cost associated with them, I think it is, and, and also they have to get feedback from the other constituents that make E3 valuable, which includes the retailers, as well as Wall Street analysts, et cetera, um, and, and shareholders. You know, I think they're going to make a call. And basically, I don't know if E3 is going to make sense at that point. I hope it's not true because I love E3, as I've said many times, and I hope it comes back. But given where we're at and, and how successful these events seem to be in terms of promoting um, the game, I don't know if E3 even makes sense anymore. So sad, sad, sad day. That's the only reason I really brought this thing up. Any any thoughts on E3 or anything, guys? What do you guys think of Hyperscape? Did you guys look at that? Like we, I, we talked about that last week, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it looks stressful. It looked stressful. I just I get the same feeling as with with Titanfall because when everybody is coming from all the the different you know distances and just from the up and down and just, I don't know. I'm more of like a war gaming type of shooter guy where it's just calm, cool, collected and take your shot. War gaming or word gaming? War gaming. <laughs> a war Sorry. gaming. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> world like of warships, world of fan. tanks. I prefer to have like my letters and just place them on the board. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It's it, it, it it a good game really of cool. chess. <laughs> have you noticed one thing that all these games that are coming out, a lot of them are with a cyberpunk theme that's been weird like that seems to be the the, the kind of like a setting of of you mean like two games like what other games there was this one tencent game that i was looking at um warface that one's been out for no a no no like a like a proper tencent game from a from a tencent studio um i have to take a look at it but but several games that have been looking at lately have have this cyberpunk theme so just interesting I think there is some value in terms of like the halo effect when like a theme becomes popular that you can kind yeah. of ride that to build out a service. But I just generally have <laughs> bad impressions of sci-fi and kind of like any postmodern types of things just not really being mass appeal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think it gives a little bit of a depth to the game because there's more freedom to do different things. Yeah. Uh, and the post apocalyptic thing is kind of over now with PUBGs and, and you know, those type of games. So, yeah, zombies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess cyberpunk. I'd rather the think of a future. Rather think of a future that's like 
you know, um, Blade Runner than yes. Mad Max, you know, after, yeah, exactly. the, after COVID. Yeah, that's always nice. <laughs> the <laughs> colorful cyberpunk. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, I don't know. The biggest deal is Assassin's Creed Valhalla and not Far Cry for Ubisoft. Assassin's Creed will sell more units, theoretically, than Far Cry. Far Cry was a surprise. Actually, I made a mistake. I, I didn't think they were going to get this thing out this, this year, so... Okay. <laughs> My bad. Um, that's my job is to know that. But uh, Far Cry is what's what's interesting about Far Cry is it's a guarantee, right? That, that team is like rock solid, right? And they're not trying to be ambitious and do crazy things with it and add looter shooter crap. It it is what it is, and so they're going to get that game out. It's going to be amazing. So that's good. Valhalla. The biggest problem that I'm seeing right now that I'm kind of communicating to my clients is that man, this this. Not as not that holiday is stacked with games. Like I, the the number of games are not really as significant. Really, it's just that they're all in like two weeks from each other, right? So like, the Rainbow Six. Oh, I didn't say Rainbow Six. They they put out there. It's a co op co op game. But Rainbow Six is coming out like the end of right at the end of October, and then we have the fucking election, right? November fourth, which everyone tries to steer clear of, right? Then we have Call of Duty, and then. We have uh, Assassin's Creed is going to be right there as well. Then we have next-gen consoles. Then we have Halo and then Spider-Man, which is coming on PS... What? Yeah, Miles Morales. Yeah, Yeah, Spider-Man, which is coming on PS4, everybody. I've confirmed. Um, So not a a next-gen exclusive at all. And then uh, I'm missing one big one. Oh, and then uh, Cyberpunk, right? So Cyberpunk comes on the 19th, which is like literally the last possible moment you could actually ship a game, a big game like that, because it's right before Black Friday. So like within two weeks, like there's too many games and I'm not a zero sum guy, but that is a zero sum, right? There's just no way people can get engaged with that many games in that brief period. And so who gets screwed? Call of Duty and Cyberpunk. I think Cyberpunk is going to be a train wreck. That's what I'm, I think it's just really going to disappoint in terms of sales overall, but um so we we shall see uh but also you know frankly i i don't think that assassin's creed can do as well in that window i mean there's just too many games you know so all right i think that's it on that note go play battle legion (laughs) (laughs) not a sponsor by the way but if they want to send us some some free uh coins i'd definitely take some (laughs) I am downloading Hyperscape. I, I haven't played it yet, so I'll check it out. I'll get back to you guys next week. All right. Cool. All right. Catch y'all later. Till next Bye. week. Later. Bye. Bye.